Founders face mentors and masters. I'm Captain Hoff, CEO of Founderspace, the leading global startup accelerator. I'm also author of the award-winning books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Horses. I am here today with Justin Brady. He is a master of PR. Justin, welcome to the show. Steven, this is awesome. Thanks for having me on. What do you say to get the attention of a journalist? A journalist who's getting pitched all day, every day with different ideas, and they're saying no to 99% of them. How do you break through it? So many of these writers are just getting one-size-fits-all blasts uh, all the time. Like, even though I write about entrepreneurship, uh, I've written in the Harvard Business Review, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, about like innovation, startups, work culture, problem solving, that kind of thing. Despite that, I would get these bizarre pitches on new cosmetics lines and yard care. If I just happened to say or write something in a piece somewhere about like yard care that was totally off topic, I would get all these yard care pitches because people were not listening to me. PR people and tech founders had absolutely no idea what I wrote about. They didn't look into me. They didn't actually go out there and dig and flip over the cards in journalism land. So you need to match the stories in your organization with the appropriate uh, entity, writer, and publication out there. That makes sense. So let's say you do that. How do you get through to that journalist? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. If you're a founder and you raised some amount of money, you're probably getting pitched by sales guys and sales ladies all the time. Uh, it, it does help to kind of look at those patterns and understand that a journalist is probably getting pitched way more often than you are. So you need to understand, you know, like like you asked, you need to find a way to break out. I call this the fart method. This is, this is the way I do it. I love it. Uh, I call it the fart method because no one ever forgets it. I was like, I have got to figure out a way to communicate these principles in a way that's almost, uh, uh, in wording alone, slightly offensive, so no one forgets it. So uh, the fart method stands for fresh, accessible, relevant, and timely. And so uh, I'll briefly expand on them because it's you know, a lot, but the F is for fresh. And that means the story has to be truly unique, has to be truly different. And that's really hard to determine if you don't know your competition and you don't understand what's going on in your circle of influence or your community. I get so many, I mean, to uh, I cut off my general pitch email address six months ago, but I was still getting pitches, even though I haven't written for the Washington Post in like years, I was still getting pitch, pitches to be covered in the Washington Post. And it's incredible how many pitches I get with this new, bold, innovative product or idea. And I just want to reply, this existed five years ago. Like, you're not even remotely new on the scene. Like, this has been, like, where have you been? So, you know, a lot of people have no idea that their pitch, their story is not fresh. Now, it, it, the company might be completely innovative and new, right? It's just the way they pitched it made it, they used terminology that they'd read from competitors or like-minded companies. They adopted all that terminology. I call those baggage terms. Don't say stuff like we're the Amazon of or the Uber of, because now you've borrowed all their negative baggage and you're not, you know, the positive baggage is 
not really that the upside's not really that good. So uh, fresh is key. It has to be fresh. Get outside yourself. Get feedback. Get critical feedback from customers. Stephen, this is I'm talking your love language here. You, you're all about yes. critical feedback from customers. Uh, the A is accessible. Make sure that media like you can help them build a story help a journalist build a story don't make them dig they have less resources today they're on tighter timelines than they've ever been in the past give them access to lots of resources original photos uh, perhaps video assets that they can use exclusively you don't need to necessarily promise exclusive assets right away but uh, if it's a you know if it's a big profile in the wall street journal i think maybe you should make it exclusive if they want it the get some uh, make it easy uh, to reach you, make yourself accessible. There are so many times I got pitched and I'd respond um, back from when I was writing for the post more often. I'd be I'd respond. This is great. I could you know, I could see my editor letting me run a piece like this. And then they'd never even respond. Wow. Because, because they would like <laughs> they they had a terrible process and they weren't oh accessible. And there was no way to reach out to them. And. Um, there was, they wouldn't come with like a way for me to vet them because they weren't on like LinkedIn. Make sure that it's easy for the journalist to vet you and do background checks. Make sure not, not like, you know, criminal background checks, but just make sure you're out there. You're posting frequently. You're Great. connected yeah. on LinkedIn, make yourself accessible. So that's really important. So include a link to LinkedIn. So your bio, so that they can go right there. Another thing you were saying is add value, like give value to the journalists because they're Absolutely. super busy, like make their life easier. So include, uh, you were talking about all the different things you could include. I'm sure they would love to get like statistics. Like I see a lot of articles where you, uh, a company has gathered proprietary data on something that's interesting. Uh, and then they make that available to the journalist. Right. And that's a part of being accessible is giving that stuff to them. Don't make them hunt for it because I can guarantee you they will not. They may start to go hunting if you're a big deal, if there's a huge opportunity or if like Ryan Reynolds is your spokesperson, then they'll probably drop everything to get an interview with the guy. Right. Um, celebrities do talk, by the way, if you know celebrities that are willing to <laughs> willing to um, talk good about your product, that can get you some interviews. The R is relevant. Like this is one that's don't, you know, don't pitch a tech writer about cosmetics unless it's like technology related cosmetics, then that could be a good angle. But, you know, a lot of people will pitch the wrong startup idea, the wrong concept to the to a writer that's completely not relevant to them. So research the writer in the publication and understand what stories they like to write and uh, what their focus is. So many people don't do this. And it, it, what it does is it really ends up burning bridges. And then the T is timely. So again, fart method, so F-A-R-T. The T is timely. Uh, to use a really basic example, if you're pitching like a new charcoal grill you made, <laughs> a new charcoal grill thing in fall as we're heading to winter and you're pitching it to like better homes and gardens, that's not very timely. Unless they're, you know, getting ready to run stories for their spring and summer editions. But you or have to hit things at the right designed time. designed snow grill. Exactly. That you can use, you know, in bad weather. But, but that's yeah, exactly so... right. In that case, it is timely. So, yeah, the fart method. Fresh, accessible, relevant, timely. If your pitch does not hit all four, there is a good chance it's not going to be read, opened, or replied to at all. That is good advice for entrepreneurs. Now... Getting PR also, how do you come up with that great angle? Like, how do you know, like all our businesses, we tend to speak 
to people in our market. Like even if we're talking to our customers, we're talking to fairly people who might be buying technology or, you know, using our service. We're using a lot of uh, slang that is internal to our group, but doesn't necessarily translate to the general public. So how can you break out of that and craft or position what you're doing as interesting to a, a more a wider audience? Yeah, <clears throat> understand the and that's audience is big, right? It, it's so weird. And again, I do this too, right? I did this a lot. But it, it's so crazy when you pitch your product or your startup baby, you completely forget about audience, which, which sounds bizarre, but I've done it too. So focus on the audience that you're pitching to. So uh, understand what words they use, what vernacular they understand, get out of your own head. It is really, really difficult to do that. Again, listen to customers. I hate to be a broken record. I'm sure you don't mind. But uh, listening to the customers and using their own terminology to connect with them is key. Like listening is such a big deal. Uh, I wrote about this back in like 2012, 2013, I think in the wall street journal about, um, and this was in the, in the framework of like creative companies and what separates like a very innovative and creative and edgy company from a stagnant one. And it's, uh, company cultures that listen, empathize and trust. If, if they are good at those three things, I would love anybody to challenge me on that because I have been challenged so many times on it. And uh, so far it's ironclad, but that is the uh, way to inspire creativity. It's also the way to get outside your own thinking and you and, and connect with others. Yeah. Is I, listening, empathy, and trust. I, I, and I think what you're saying is that if you go to your customers and they have one or two reasons that they are crazy about your product. Like it just does this and, and nobody else does this. That's what you need to hone in on because yeah, that's exactly. what's going to resonate with other potential customers who are the audience out there who have the same problem. Yeah. And you need to, you need to really treat your, uh, the journalists and the editors you're pitching as a customer as well. This is difficult, right? Okay. So Sometimes here's the challenge. You you pitch this amazing story that is super great and it's extremely relevant to your audience. And it's also this extremely valuable story to the journalist, or at least it should be. And you pitch this and you think there this is a sure thing. There is no way they are not going to run this. And your PR person, your comps person, or even your CEO, you've checked all the right boxes, right? You've done the whole correct strategy. You're, you've been great at listening, empathy, trust, fart method, perfect pitch email. You the, the story matches, the timing's perfect. You can pitch it and then hear nothing back. And you're like, what the heck? We did all these things right. And so here's the problem. Sometimes politics, I'm not talking about like right or left Republican Democrat politics. I'm talking about politics or even sponsors, sadly to say, can prevent a story from moving forward. There was a story I was writing for a publication and I'll just say it was the Washington Post and my editor, Matt McFarlane, who is amazing. He has taught me amazing amounts uh, of information uh, made me a way better writer. He put up with a lot because I'm a crazy person and he really hammered me into a much better writer. And I wanted to write a story on Google, why Google Glass would fail. 
And I was so convinced that I had such a great piece. He kept coming back and kept coming back and saying, like, you need to prove this better. You need to cite this better. And finally, he just said, you know what? We're not going to run this. I just think you're way off. And, uh, you know, we're not going to run. I think you're wrong on this. And I've just made a decision. And that's fine. Editors do that all the, all the time. They just they have to come to a point where they have to make a decision and, you know, it turned out I was right. Now, that doesn't mean the piece was right, right? Maybe it was a trashy piece. But you, the point in saying this is you can submit what you think is a great piece. You checked all the boxes correctly. But at the end of the day, a writer is victim to their editor. Like the editor is still going to make that final call. And, still, and so even if your story is a great it's a great story. It's perfect for the publication. It's perfect for the writer. Objectively, there is a, a group of 10 independent judges that cannot be swayed, and they all agree. You can still fail because an editor said no, or someone yeah. just had and a personal I, bias against it. I can see why that editor said no, because if Google Glass succeeded, the Washington Post would look bad. So it was, a, it was a risky piece to write. Sure. It, it, because there was no way for him to know for sure whether it would fail or not, or even sure. you, but you, you had a hunch and your hunch was right, but you can't know for certain. And Google's a big company and they didn't want to be trashing Google for no reason. So I totally get it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that, what you said is another, and this is because I used to be, um, obviously I've written for a bunch of publications. I used to have a live radio show on iHeart. Um, I had seven presidential candidates in studio before the other, the most recent election. Uh, and one of the interesting things that happened uh, throughout this uh, professional publication and writing and radio career is I did see, uh, and I'm not going to name names uh, or say what publications and what mediums, but I have seen editorial decisions be shaped by sponsor dollars. And I'm not going to say where I witnessed this because I want to protect people, but uh, that is a factor. If, if you yeah, are going you, to, you, you know, have, go ahead. You can't ever separate the money from the decision-making like in the back of the difficult. editor's mind, even if they don't make it a policy, an official policy in the back of their mind, we're getting paid by this sponsor. We don't want to yeah. piss them off. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. They're literally and, allowing me to bring home my paycheck. <laughs> right. Yep. And there were a couple um, pieces, a, a couple freelance submissions I was working with clients to place. And in the back of our mind, I'll never be able to prove it, right? But in the back yeah, of the mind, it, my mind, there were some disparaging sentences in there about some bigger companies that tend to place a lot of ad buys and the um, close editor uh, contacts and friends of mine just kind of gave me these very vague reasons why they didn't want to run it. And right. I was like, I think they're not allowed to tell money. you that it's because of the sponsors because they're right. not supposed to do that. Right. So, and so there are examples where you can be polarizing and go after someone and a paper or a uh, news network will run it because they want to start a fight and they know that's going to get them ratings right? So polarization is a great thing. It can, you know, respectfully done. Polarization is a super great thing, but just be prepared that sometimes people, you know, especially now because, uh, uh, newspapers and news networks are really struggling financially. So if they have to choose between running your amazing piece and keeping a sponsor, yeah, that's going to be a decision that's going to be floating around in the back yeah. of your head. So it does, uh, jeopardize journalistic integrity, sadly.
but yeah. uh, we that's the world we live in. We have to recognize it as a reality. Now, a big part of getting PR is telling a great story, like a, re- a super compelling story. What is your advice for how to craft a great story? Yeah, you have to dig really, really deep. Every time I work with a new client, it's the same exact answer, which is we don't have any great stories. And this this isn't a, a negative, our company sucks kind of thing, right? Like all the companies I work with believe in their company. They just don't, like, they usually have this, our product is cool. And that's pretty much the end of it. Like, that's their story. And I'm like, ah, that's just not enough. And I'll give you an example. There was one client that I was working with that is in high-tech manufacturing. And they were kind of in this boat. What we do is super cool. And they're actually, their marketing guy, they've been a client forever. And their marketing guy is like one of the more objective people I know. And so he's like, eh, we have a really, like our technology is cool. But we have no cool stories. So don't even bother. And I was like, you know, I think you do have some cool stories. So we went digging and we found out that there was one woman in their uh, engineering department in their tool and die department. And the HR leader just finally said once, you know, we have a, this lady in our, in our tool and die department. And then she just, that, that was it. And I'm like, uh, so what? What, like, what, where's, where's the rest of the story? She's like, that's the story. I'm like, the story is there's a woman working in your tool and die department. She's like, yeah, that's very unusual. And I was like, oh, I had no idea it was unusual. So we started doing some research and it turns out it's really unusual. It's extremely rare. So I ended up pitching this at the Chicago Tribune. And <laughs> it's this is a, like a, a great story and a sad story at the same time. I ended up pitching at the Chicago Tribune in uh, LA Times. It was going to run in the Chicago Tribune and LA Times. You're already hearing that it was going to run. Yes. And it turns out she was the only woman in the country in a tool and die department. Oh my and God. It, it so was an they... amazing story. There was this huge yes. profile that was going to publish. We had a publication date. And then date, she quit? And then she quit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she went to another company who like just paid her a crazy amount of money to get her over there because she was this amazing employee. And so, um, yeah, they should have, they should have said, please don't quit until the story. Runs. I know. We'll give you a bonus. <laughs> I know. That's what I wanted, but I didn't get my way on that. But, but the point to but that the point story, is that a story that doesn't even sound like a story turns yes. out to be quite a story. So and unless you're listening to your employees intently, and I'm not saying listening, like hearing the words, so should, I'm saying listen listening and reading between the lines, you're, you're going to miss all of them. Yeah. So should you, let's say you're the CEO of a startup, should you go to your, all your employees and say, give me stories about our company? Sure. I mean, that, that doesn't hurt. Right. But right. Because there may be a lot of stories that you just don't know. And they have like, really, they're seeing things that you don't see that, you know, your salesperson is talking to a customer that, and you know, where the product ended up saving their life or some other, you know, dramatic thing that you never knew about because it never filtered up to you. Uh, but on the ground floor or in your company, they have, may have a new way of doing something, new patents, new ideas that are really revolutionary that you thought were just kind of, you know, they were just the R&D department. So uh, getting, uh, and there's just more brains on it. So uh, going to your employees and actually having them generate a whole bunch of stories and then picking from those, I think that would be a pretty good strategy. It, it's a really good strategy. 
Absolutely. And, but you can go even further, which is active, being an active listener 24 seven, like whenever you're at work, actively listening to people you're talking with. If you're the CEO, that would be your executive staff, ah, good but point. also the Genchi Junbutsu, right? That's the Toyota, one of the Toyota design principles, go look, go see, just get in the weeds and, you know, make an intentional effort to sit in the employee lunchroom and just uh, schedule random lunches with people. At first it's brutal if you don't do this, right? It's hard to find where those stories are, but eventually you hear people talking in the break room. You say, you, you know, tell, tell me something that, um, just really got you pumped up at work, you know, getting into people's personal lives in a positive way, uplifting people, helping them. Eventually those stories do start to bubble out. And when you, so, when you tease so those and, and you run these stories, then what you do is you tell that employee who is, you know, who connected on that story, you say, Hey, if you hear of anything, that's super cool happening in the company, would you please tell me? And eventually that just spiders out into the organization and you have people essentially um, all, being your eyes and ears for you and helping you find those new stories. So what I'm hearing is always be hunting for stories. Like you should- Correct. Like it, basically PR isn't something you do when you sit down with your PR person. Right? Exactly. You, you know, you don't brainstorm, you know, usually most people like they're go, okay, I'm going into PR mode. We're going to have a meeting. We're going to brainstorm on what we put in our press release or what we, you know, go out to journalists with. And they just do it for an hour and they expect to have great PR, but it yeah. doesn't work that way. What you're telling me is you should, you know, continually- every day, all day long, be looking for stories and writing them down when you, when you hear something. And yeah. And you just hit on it. You hit on it right there, write them down. And maybe I sound old school, but the way to do this was, is with a paper and pen. Uh, I've done a little research on paper and pen and um, fine motor skills and how that aids in memory. And so for whatever reason, if you type things, you don't memorize it as well. If you write it down on a piece of paper, you do. Will that change? Will our brains slightly evolve and that'll change over time? I, maybe. I don't know. But making intentional efforts every time you're meeting with employees in meetings, uh, I always write a line and I do this for SEO purposes, but I always write a line on my notebook and I just... Uh, in that line, it's what questions were asked, you know, now that, but it could also be what stories did you hear? And so constantly at first, it sounds exhausting. Like I can't always be on all the time, Justin, that's ridiculous. But it, once you start doing this a little bit and you start reminding yourself with a notebook, you'll notice it just starts to become automatic. Once you train yourself, you just right. start and, noticing. And, and then you'll stories. start notice a lot more stories, a lot more things. And you hit on something else. So you said you do it for SEO purposes, like when customers ask questions. That's really interesting. Talk about Yeah. That. So this is appropriately named the notebook method. <laughs> you know, you can reach out to me, anybody, and maybe there's a better name for this. But um, one of my customers is, uh, they make... <laughs> They make some, well, it's the same, it's actually the same customer. They make really high tech components for a bunch of med tech and wearable companies. These things are microscopic. Steve, can I talk about the name of this company so at least people can look it up and know what I'm sure. talking about? Okay, it's called Acumol. They're based in the middle of Iowa and they make microscopic little components um, for like med tech. And it's, it's like, you can't, you need a microscope to see the uh, tolerances of, the, of these things. I think they're making like, 
they're, they're dealing with micron, half micron tolerances. So that's like the size of a red blood cell. So one of the challenges in their industry is that they are working with companies and engineers who are making next gen technology and they do not talk about it, right? Because that's their little black box. That's their special secret sauce. And so the, you know, by nature, these sales guys uh, at Acumold cannot target new customers, they don't know what, you know, who, how would you know what new product is about ready to come out? So the only way they can get ahead of these um, engineers that are making design decisions right now is through SEO and through making, you know, trying to anticipate what are the search terms they're going to be searching? Like, what is micromolding? They figured out a lot of engineers uh, are searching what is micromolding um, because not because they didn't know what it was, but because they wanted a baseline understanding of design specifications and that kind of thing. So um, we applied some basic listening strategies and the strategy that they always do or that they are always working for is whenever they're listening to an engineer, whenever they're listening to a new customer or a current customer, they're actively trying to write down natural occurring questions like um uh, i mean they're right they're, because they're, that's what people the how they ask it when they're talking to you is how they type it into google correct so, yeah and, and you're you, basically you can get as close to that as possible you're going to be the uh, on the first page right yeah that's exactly right and that's what they are they're on the first page for almost every query in their um, simply by their having blog entries i would imagine that answer these questions you got it that's exactly what they do so and it's they super basically simple. write it's yeah basically constant level. while you're searching for stories you said you should also be searching writing down every question a potential customer asks you or your salespeople. you should right, have like because... a database of these this is how people are searching Google or DuckDuckGo. Yeah. If you, I use DuckDuckGo or or Google Assistant and Alexa, right? People ask questions all the time. Right. And so, Google's looking for the exact uh, the the best exact match. You got it. You got it. That's so. And let's so let's move on to another topic. Than, yeah, I want to yeah. get one more topic in yes, here please. before yes, we please. wrap up. You got me all excited there, Stephen. <laughs> I'm glad. So the the last topic is I noticed that journalism runs it on trends like all these journalists end up focusing on a certain topic like right now it's you know the price of bitcoin or you know things like that at the same time and how uh how important is this to getting the attention and coverage from the media it's it's a balance right it is pretty important because uh, one of my, one of my buddy, well, he was actually on the on my my podcast a while back, but his name's David Allison, and he uh, has created the Value Graphics database. So instead of demographics, he uh, is able to break people down into values, which is absolutely fantastic. He's he's a fascinating guy, and the way he says this is, journalists are building a fire, and so don't tell them how your fire is burning bright. Bring a log to their fire, like bring a resource to them and what what interests them and i mean that may be a particular trend right now and so as much as you may believe your story stands on its own and that may be true so i've had a lot of success jumping on a certain trend and injecting my client into that trend and i'll get i'll give you an example there was one 
uh, time I was listening to, I had identified, and this is the first key, identify your sources, right? Or identify your targets. I was listening to Bloomberg Markets AM and Pim Fox said something about the skilled trades gap. And one of my clients has a manufacturing side that they have this skilled trades program. Like, um, and so they, so Pim Fox said something like, and blah, 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 the skilled trades get gap, blah, blah, blah. As you all know, no one solved that yet. And so I reached out within five minutes of hearing that and sent him an email saying, my client solved that here. Here's how they did it. That was it. It was a very short pitch. And 10 minutes later, he responded, let's have him on. And so within like a month, my client went to Manhattan and Bloomberg world headquarters and did a five minute, uh, interview and, because so much time had elapsed between the original pitch and the actual interview, that whole time I was also providing them more information about the company and other things they were doing. So by the time they did the interview, it was about a four-minute, uh, what turned into basically a four-minute ad for this company because they kept asking about how cool the company was and the technology. And then at the end, I think in the last 45 seconds, they talked about the skilled trades. So right. So getting very their attention aware. is the key because once you get in a dialogue with the journalists, then they find out everything else about your, your baby <laughs> that they didn't know before and they didn't care about before, but because it, they've already, you've already got their interest, suddenly uh, you can expand the story. Yeah. And in five minutes, this is just kind of the thing I always tell clients is five minutes, it means you've lost. So when you hear something that your CEO, your CFO, your marketing person, one of your engineers, you, whenever you hear anything out there in media land that you can comment on from an educated stand standpoint and provide value, reach out to that journalist now. Do not wait. Email it immediately. Tell them you have value for them and make it easy for them to reach out for, to you and get you scheduled. Like do it that, immediately. So again, uh, yours is like 24 seven PR, right? Like, yes, so correct. you're always gathering stories, always gathering questions. You're always, you know, whenever you're reading articles, you're looking for a chance to insert yourself into what they're writing about, what they're talking about right now. Yeah. You're always looking for that opportunity. How could I bring a resource and make this even better? How can I make this journalist job even easier? If only they would highlight our story, they're going to get, they're going to get so much value out of this. And they're, and at the end of the day, right, what the journalist cares about, what the editors care about, what the producers care about is, is this article going to get us a lot of clicks? So you don't have to come out and say, we're going to get you a lot of clicks. But if you imply it throughout your piece, or maybe even imply that, you know, um, this would be great. Uh, I don't, I don't, ah, I'm doing this on the fly, but you could say, you know, think about this, but Yes, journalists care that people read their articles because <laughs> they have an ego. <laughs> Crazy, and, right? And their you know reputation is based on how popular their articles are. So if you say, yeah, we have a huge Twitter following, which would love to read about this, and we'll let them know you're writing about this, that could sway them. Yeah, and find ways to imply it, but don't state it because state it right <laughs> out, right? Like, because if you would say that, like, okay, so if I was writing something and someone would be like, if you wrote this, we'll send it to our email list that has 250,000 people. Uh, yeah, that that's you, you got my attention. However, I don't want the appearance of conflict um, of interest. Yeah, exactly. I don't want that appearance. So I'll probably say no, because journalists, if there's one thing they're obsessed with, it's trying to be above board, right? It's trying so to... You're, you're uh, talking about high-end journalists who are at 
uh, yes, you know, absolutely. Wall, Wall Street Journal or Washington Post, you're not talking Correct. about your average blogger. Your average blogger would be thrilled with that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair, right? Like if it's a random blogger or something online, they might not care at all. Well, right? they would or be if like, it's a TikTok oh, influencer, they might not care. Thousand people. Yes. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, you're you're you, you, you totally nailed it. Right. Um, but for a journalist, they can lose their job if there's a conflict of interest. Right. But for so a TikTok influencer, no one cares. Yes. Yeah. So if, if so, really, um, it, it depends who you're talking to, how you would position it. But so let's say you have this mailing list of 250,000 people and you're talking to a high end journalist. How would you insert that into the conversation without actually saying it? Ooh, that is a good see. That's something I'm a word guy and I have to write this stuff to figure it out. But uh, I would I would imply uh, Find, find a way to inject it casually, like as if as if you have to mention it because it contributes to the overall story in some way. And I can't I, I wish I could come up with something on the fly. But uh, yeah, like these I could things take me forever to figure I, out uh, the way to correctly. I, word I could something. imagine you saying, you know, you know, the 250,000 people on our mail. We, we gathered this data because we put out a poll to the 250,000. people. Ooh, on. That's genius. That's absolutely right. genius. One of them, I. um Oh, I had a I had a good example. You know what? Let's just stick with your example because that was absolute genius. But there was one. Yeah, I like the poll example. There was I was trying to think of another one we did recently, but uh, it's 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 escaping but you're, me. You're, but that it, is a good it's example. It's not like you're bribing them with it. You're mentioning it because you have to tell where you got the data. But at the same time, it's registering with them. Yes. Yeah. You want to you just want to avoid looking like it's an if then, right? Yes. You, you want to avoid that at all costs. Yes. So this is. Uh, this has been chock full of really valuable advice on Oh, PR. good. I hope so. So, Justin, I just want to thank you for being on the show. And can you tell our audience how they can find you? Yeah, super easy. So take out your podcasting apps right now and type in Justin Brady Show and hit subscribe. Also, it's, I mean, you can Google me, Justin Brady. I'll come up. But the URL is Justin K. Brady. Dot com. There's an easy contact button in the menu at the bottom, and it buzzes my phone directly if you ask me questions. So I will, I will respond very quickly, and uh, feel free to ask any questions. I, I love answering questions. I love this kind of thing. So thanks for having me, Stephen. It was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can help us create more great content by subscribing and sharing. Also, if you want to access our online startup program, our investor network, and our entrepreneur resources, just come to founderspace.com.